Take your Bibles and turn with us to the book of Luke. It's in the daily Bible reading, the book of Luke, and we want to go to the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. All right, Luke chapter 14. The verses that I want to concentrate on this morning are the parable of the Great Supper down in verses 15 and following. That's where I want to concentrate. But I've always been challenged in the book of, in the Gospels, to try to connect what Jesus says as if it's not just uh, just separated passages of Scripture that have no relevance or relationship to the ones before or after. I've always tried to do that. And so, well, as I was studying the parable of the Great Supper, I realized that the context extends further than verses 15 through 24. It actually begins in chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And it extends through the second section of chapter 14, verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them. And then the third part is the one that I wanted to concentrate on. But let's put this in perspective for a moment. I don't know, you've been reading through the book of Luke, and I'm hoping that you have discovered that there are one, two, three, four, five places where Jesus is either invited to eat, was asked by someone, was given the opportunity, and he takes them up on it. The very first reference to a dinner engagement that Jesus had is in Luke chapter 5, and I'm just bringing it to your attention because what you probably would like to do, what you probably should do after this is, is at home in your own personal study, kind of look at all of these together because a lot of amazing things can happen around the dinner table. And uh, so in Luke chapter 5 is the first one in verse 27, and I just want to bring it to your attention that the Bible tells us that after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector. And who's the tax collector? Matthew or Levi, and he got saved. And what did he do when he got saved in verse 29? Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and he invited a number of his colleagues from work, tax collectors. And a great number of people sat down with him. The second dinner is in chapter 7, verse 36 and following. And the Bible tells us that one of the Pharisees, this is a Pharisee now, I don't know whether he ultimately gets saved or not. I don't know if the Lord is opening his heart to hear the gospel and receive it. But that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And you'll remember this is when a woman came in who was about as sinful as they get, and she really understood the, the, the offer that Jesus was giving to free you from your sin, 
to save you from your sin, to forgive you from your sin. And she brought this alabaster box in and, and, uh, and she anointed Jesus with the oil. And, and the Pharisees saying, wow, look at that. He's allowing her to touch him. Does he not know who she is? That's the second dinner engagement. The third one is pretty famous for us. First one was given by Matthew or Levi. The second by Simon was his name. Jesus, Jesus um, uh, talked to him later, of course. And then in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and following, we have this very, very interesting passage of Scripture about Martha, who invites Jesus to Martha and Mary's house. They were sisters. And she puts on a, a dinner or luncheon for Jesus. And even though it doesn't say, the Bible tells us in, Mark, in, in Luke chapter uh, 10, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she came to Jesus and said, Jesus, all my sister's doing is sitting and talking to you. You've got to have her help me make this dinner. She needs to help me in the kitchen. She can't sit here in the living room with you all day. And that's when Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what, there's a priority here. And as, and as nice as this is for you to serve me, it's more important to sit with me. Well, the next one is in chapter 11, verse 37. These are, these are really good, good um, uh, things that Jesus uh, teaches us from these dinner engagements. In verse 37, the Bible says, And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Again, this is a Pharisee. He's, a, he's uh, not sure, probably, of who Jesus is and where he's coming from yet. And he wants to learn more. Maybe he appreciates the ministry of Jesus. And the Bible says that when Jesus came and sat down to eat, the Pharisee saw that he had not first washed his hands for dinner. Now, if hand washing were the issue because of health reasons, Jesus would have addressed that. But you see, hand washing for the Pharisee at this particular dinner was not an issue of hand washing to get the dirt off your hands but it's for, for spiritual cleansing, as if if I wash my hands, it can cleanse my heart. And Jesus says, you got it wrong, buddy. You got it wrong. You can't scrub a heart down by washing your hands. It's not physical water that's going to cleanse you from your sin. And then we have this final and fourth dinner. Well, we, we have maybe one more, but we just don't know whether they ate at Zacchaeus's house or not. But Jesus said, I'm going to your house today. I'm spending time with you. But in Luke chapter 14, it says, Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. There was a certain man there with dropsy. Does anybody know what dropsy is? I don't see that in my medical book, <laughs> although it's in the dictionary, so I know what it is. Look it up. <laughs> and the Bible says that Jesus is looking at everybody at this dinner. There's lots of people there. In fact, 
in this next section, it must have been a packed house and people must have been in all of the rooms, you see. And Jesus said, is it lawful for me? I mean, he's looking, he's eyeing everybody up and he's looking around and he's saying, is it okay if I heal this guy? The Pharisees don't want to say a word. They don't want to say a word. You can't do anything on the Sabbath day like that. But they don't want to say a word. I don't know if they brought this guy in as a plant or not. It's very possible that they did. They may have brought him in and said, you know, we're going to use this guy and we're going to trap Jesus. But they kept silent they, they, and, 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 and Jesus healed them. And then Jesus gave his explanation. The thing I love about Jesus is he gives you explanations as to why he does what he does for the most part. And he says, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? If you get an animal trapped on the Sabbath day, aren't you going to pull him out? And in their hearts, they might not be saying it, but in their hearts they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, Lord, we would do that. We would do that. Well, it's okay for me then to do this on the Sabbath day. But they didn't answer. They didn't answer the question that Jesus gave. By the way, there are four passages of Scripture in the Bible that, uh, that specifically deal with this issue of healing on the Sabbath day. Other things, but there's four passages of Scripture. But I want you to, I want you to, look, at, um, I want you to look at Luke chapter 13, verse 15. We'll, we'll skip the Matthew one. And we'll just stay in the book of Luke and go back to the 13th chapter. Just before this, in the previous chapter, we have the same kind of problem. He was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath day in verse 10. There was a woman there who had a spirit of infirmity. 18 years. And Jesus had compassion on her. And Jesus healed her. And the crowd... The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, got upset with Jesus, mad and angry with him, and she says, because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath day. There are six days that men ought to work, but on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to do anything like that. And what was Jesus' answer? Everybody look at it. What was Jesus' answer in verse 50? He goes to the animal world. My daughter came to me, my oldest daughter came to me one time and says, you know, she, she was really compassionate for animals. And she was going through a period of time in her life when she, she really, really was very super compassionate to animals. And she says, is God compassionate to animals? Well, here's Jesus. You hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? Now, today, it would be, doesn't the farmer milk his cows on Sunday? Of course he does. <laughs> well, anyway, let's move on. Amazing things can happen around the dinner table, right? And I just want to say this to you. Make some amazing things happen around the dinner table. Have some good discussions. Get your family together. When I was a kid and my family, we got around the dinner table, there was always Hurlbut's story of the Bible. Who remembers Hurlbut's story of the Bible? There was always stories for the children's hour. There was always the kids' corner in Sword of the Lord magazine. There were books that were written uh, for kids. 
I remember one called a reward for Jerry. But see, around our supper table, it was more than just eating when I was growing up. It was spending some time together and also with the Lord. Make some things happen at your dinner table. Well, anyway, let's, uh, let's go on. This was, a, this was a, a dinner where he had invited a lot of people, and in verses 17 and follow, in verses seven and following, we don't, have to, we don't have to pick up too much information here. But remember, Jesus, Jesus was watching everybody who was coming and sitting down and taking their places. And here's what he said to those who had been invited to this dinner. It was a it's a parable, and he says, supposing you're at a wedding feast and you've been invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the best place. Don't go into the reception hall and look for the best place for you to sit. Don't do that. He says, because what can happen is somebody who's more important than you, someone who's closer to the family than you, someone who should be in a space of honor may get a better place or need a better place and you're sitting in it. And so the, the ones who are hosting the reception are going to come to you and say, hey, buddy, could, could you get up and move to the other room? Because we, we, uh, we need this person to sit here for you instead of you. That's, that's what Jesus says. And then Jesus says to the ones who had put on the wedding in his parable, he says, um, he says uh, listen, when you give a dinner or a supper in verse 12, don't ask your friends, your brothers. Now, this is a dinner or a supper. It was a wedding in the first one. It's a dinner or a supper. He says, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors lest they also say, well, I've got to return the favor. You know, he invited me to dinner. He invited me to this great luncheon, and, and I've got to return the favor, so I'm going to invite him to my place. There probably were a lot of these kind of people there. And so Jesus says to them, he said, when you give a feast and invite the, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I had a pastor's wife call me up one time. We had gone to college. Her husband uh, was in my class. She and he got married, and they had a ministry at a church where they were bringing in kids into the home. And they were taking care of the kids and the teens. And she called me up one time and she said, oh, Gary, she said, I'm so weary of this. She says, I don't know if I can do this another day. She says, this has been uh, hard for us. There's been lots of joys. It's been something we've done for a long time, but I don't know if I can do it any longer. And I said to her, I said, and I quoted Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Where Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says, if you're not aware of it, don't, don't, the Lord is not going to forget 
your labor of love. I just want you to be aware of the fact He has made that promise to you. In verse 10, The Lord is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. It was like a board hitter. Oh, you're so right. The Lord's not going to forget what I do. The Lord's not going to dismiss it. And Jesus said, listen, when you invite people that you don't know and you invite people that, that uh, could use a good dinner perhaps, guess what? You will be recompensed on the day of resurrection. You will be repaid. You will be rewarded. Now, I got it, you know, it's, we don't talk about rewards in the church very much. But you and I need to understand that on Judgment Day, it's a time when God is going to award rewards. He's going to give awards, uh, rewards to those who have served Him faithfully. Some are going to get rewards. Some are not going to get rewards based on what we have done for Him and whether they qualify. But having said that, keep that in mind. And, and then finally here, I want you to go to the passage I'm focusing on. There's a whole not a lot of commentary here either. But the parable of the Great Supper begins in verse 13, where it says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat in the kingdom of God. Now there's your connection between verse, this verse and the previous verse, you know. Jesus says, you'll be rewarded on Resurrection Day. And this guy says, ah, oh, then blessed are those who are going to eat in the kingdom of God. <laughs> now, you have to understand the way the Jewish people felt uh, when God is going to rule and reign on this earth through the Messiah. When Jesus, has come, when Jesus comes back and he's going to be in total control and you're either going to have to listen to him or not and uh, nations are going to have to obey him or choose not to and the consequences then, of course, will be pretty stiff indeed. When that happens, the Jewish people said that it's always going to start with, it's going to start with a great feast. It's going to start with a great feast. Everything good like that starts with a great feast. And so whether or not he is addressing what he knows about a marriage supper of the Lamb that's coming, he just assumed, blessed is he who shall eat in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus said to him, to him specifically, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper. Time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. The invitation has gone out. The people have responded. A great supper is being held. And now the, the, the servant goes out and he says, it's all ready now. It's all ready. Come. Come and dine. But in verse 18, they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. 
please have me excused between the time of the invitation and this particular, uh, this t- that now we're going to have the dinner. Between that time, guess what? I bought a piece of ground and I got to go and see it. Now, you, you know what's going on in this guy's head, you know. He's, uh, he's, he just, he's excited. He bought a piece of ground. He wants to explore it. He wants to figure out what to do with it. Maybe he wants to figure out where to put the barn. Maybe he wants to figure out where to put the house. Maybe he wants to fish on it. Maybe he wants, you know, the whole point is that he is asking, please, Lord, may I be excused. He has no idea what he's asking. Now, is there anything wrong with buying a piece of ground? No. Is there anything wrong with planning out what you're going to do with a piece of ground? No. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It becomes a sin for this guy because it becomes more important you see, to him than the Lord's invitation. And that's what makes it a serious problem. It becomes more important. We live in a world where we have things crowd in on us, and the more things that crowd in on us, they tend to drive us away from spiritual things because you can't pack everything in life. And uh, and so... Sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder, what's wrong with our heads? Doesn't the Bible say that what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You can gain it all. You can wake up tomorrow and someone say, guess what? You own all the banks, all the money and all the banks in the world. But guess what? You're going to hell. Listen. Uh, there's the parable of the sower and some of the seed is down put on the ground and the Bible tells us that when the seed is sown on the ground it can go into the, into the area where the thorns are and the thorns will, will come up and choke the seed and the cares of this life and the pleasures of this life and the riches of this life and the pride of life all of these things are going to choke out any spiritual any spiritual inclination that you may have The second person, he does the same thing. In verse 19, another says, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I need to see how they're going to perform when 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 I plow my fields. I need to check it all out. And he says, Lord, please excuse me. Please excuse me. And then there's another one in verse 20. He's the best of all. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore, I cannot come. I got my own celebration. So I can't be, be concerned about your celebration, Lord. I have my own. And that's what it is. The Lord is inviting them to a great supper, and they're rejecting. Is it okay to get married? Absolutely. Is it okay to buy five yoke of oxen? Yes, absolutely. Is it okay to do any of these things? Yes, it's okay. But when they become the priority in your life and overshadow anything that has to deal with your relationship with the Lord, it becomes a sin. Clearly, it becomes a sin. Now, I want to put us all here for just a second. I want to put us all here for just a second. Uh, I, I, I think all of us ought to become his servant in this passage of Scripture where we do the inviting. 
In this day and age, we need to invite people to the Great Supper. In this day and age, we need to invite people into the kingdom of God. In this day and age, we need to invite people to have a, a right relationship with God so that they can be safe for all eternity. We ought to be his servant in this particular passage of Scripture. Because what does Jesus ask this guy to do now? Since he's been rejected by the first person, the second person, and the third person, the Bible says, so that servant came and reported these things to the master, verse 21, and the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, bring them all in. They'll enjoy the supper. They'll enjoy the celebration. And the servant said, Master, it's still done as you commanded, and still there's room. There's still room. And then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges. Now, notice the highway. You know, he first of all, he deals with this really elite group of people. That's implied in the passage of Scripture in the context that we just read earlier with the contest going on between the people who want the best places to sit and and um, and uh, a couple of other things too there. but And then he deals with the, um, the needy ones out in the city. And finally, I think you can make a case that now he's dealing with the homeless. Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Because I want my house to be filled. Now, highways and hedges. People who shouldn't be there. When, when Andrew Jackson became the president of the United States, a lot of congressmen and people in Washington said, we can't have this. We're leaving the city. Now, Inauguration Day had been set, and I, don't, I even hate to tell you some of, the, some of the leaders who decided they didn't want to show up for his inauguration. You see, Andrew Jackson was from Tennessee. And back in those days, Tennessee was a backwoods country. And the people wore coonskin caps and leather and uh, old boots and they were farmers and they were people who just didn't live well in the city. And the problem was that Andrew Jackson invited them to his inaugural ball at the White House. And Tennessee said, we'll come. So here are all of these people coming from Tennessee in their coonskin hats and their, in their old boots and, uh, and they come into the city, and on Inauguration Day, they come into the White House, and it's just, uh, it's a, you know, they wreck the place. They don't mean to do it. They don't mean to do it, but they, they, they get mud everywhere, and, and uh, things are destroyed, and, and if they didn't put the punch bowls out on the lawn, and the food out on the lawn, Andrew Jackson said, I think, I think it was Andrew Jackson said, this, this White House is going to have to be really, really repaired. It's going to be ruined. See, we tend to look down on those with coonskin caps, dirty boots, no place to live. 
you say. And Jesus said, go out into the highways and byways. Invite them all in, man. Invite them all in. Well, Lord, they might not be dressed just right. Invite them in. Well, Lord, they may not have the manners that they need to have. You gave manners here on where to sit. And they may not have the manners. Invite them in. Right? That's what he says. That's what he says. Now, two final thoughts that I want to share with you real quick. When his servant went out, and you and I need to understand this, when the servant went out, he was told to say, everything's all ready. Everything is all ready. And I want to tell you that we live in a world where we wonder what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. But you, you and I are going to be surprised on what the Lord's going to do. Everything is ready. The one thing that the Bible tells us that the world is ready for is the gospel. In the fullness of time, Jesus came. We're in that age of grace when we can say, you know what, everything is ready. The door is wide open for people to receive the truth of God's word in the gospel of Christ. It's wide open. But there's also another thing that you need to keep in mind, and that is this, that Jesus' goal is to fill his house and fill his house he's going to do. With or without you, with or without us, with all of those who reject the gospel, he's still going to fill his house with those who respond to the gospel. And then my final thought that I want to share with you is you know that when you read this passage of scripture, there's something that's clicking in your mind, right? You're saying, oh yes, he's not just talking about a great supper, he's talking about the marriage feast of the Lamb. He's talking about that point in time in book of Revelation when finally God is victorious over what on earth is happening in the world around us. God is finally victorious. It, the, ter- the tide is tent. The judgment is done because God brings the judgment. You understand that. And now it's time for everything to change. And it will change at the second coming of Christ. But you'll remember in Revelation chapter 19, and I want to leave you with this, in verse 7 and following, let us be glad and rejoice. And several times that's mentioned. Now we can all shout and we can all be joyful because now God is dealing with all of the sin and the wickedness of the world. And he's judged it. And he says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in the fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, and this is the last verse, write, if you have that in verse 9, I'm reading from the New King James Version, you can read it with me. This will close out the service. Blessed are those, everybody together who have it. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these things are true. Listen, don't reject the invitation. And let's be his servants so that we can offer, because we're free to offer it. We're free to offer it. The Lord isn't going to say to you, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the invitations here. 
No, he wants all of us to invite people to the marriage feast of the Lamb. But you've got to have your sins forgiven. You've got to be right with God through Christ. You've got to be a part of his bride. See? But don't reject that invitation because you'll be in there with a group of people who have gained the whole world and end up losing their souls. All right, let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we just pray that you've encouraged us. You've encouraged us to make dinner special. You've encouraged us to be his servant, to invite people to your dinner. And Lord, it just really encourages us with what the future holds for those who are right with you through Christ, your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for everything that you have done for us. Amen.